Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Edge, I'm MJ Croucher, back from White Sox Baseball, uh, the podcast I did uh, the other night. I'm here with Drew Dinsick. We talk a little bit of baseball at the top, and then we'll get into some NFL. Let's talk about uh, new offensive coordinators, how they might impact a few teams and their respective markets. But first, Drew, let's spend 20 minutes on the White Sox. Uh, no, let's <laughs> a little bit of time, though, on Garrett Cole, uh, who... Uh, I was watching uh, on their, in their game Monday night where it seemed like, well, one, as someone who's been fading Cole all season, I was very happy uh, when Andrew Vaughn hit an early two-run home, but I thought maybe this is the night. Maybe this is the night where he finally just goes four innings and gives up seven, and then he just started dealing, and the White Sox offense is not good at all. Uh, but then he gives up two runs late, seven innings, four earned, so he drifts a little bit in terms of his ERA. I think his Cy Young odds should drift a little bit as well. And the Yankees are now just a tire fire, really. Uh, they're five and a half back of the wild card as we record. Uh, there's been some other happenings in that market as well with Shane McClanahan. Reports coming out that he is unlikely to pitch again this season. Uh, and so he's done in that race. Nathan Uvalde's out for weeks. He's almost certainly done as well. I mean, other guys in that market have just really fallen off too. Kevin Gosman's been eh, not great for a while. Uh, he's fallen. Framber Valdez, I think, is the guy at the moment uh, who offers the most value coming off the no-hitter. If you look at his odds stack side-by-side with Cole, Cole definitely has an edge, but it's not that big. And Framber is on a playoff team and Cole is not. Uh, and then our man Felix Bautista uh, is still lingering. Uh, and then Shohei Otani, if Shohei goes on an absolute tear to end and has the greatest season in baseball history, then I don't think Cy Young is out of the question, but uh, he's got to be pretty long at the moment. But what do you think? Yeah, I would make the tie. I think you're a little quick to dismiss uh, Gaussman. Uh, I have seen some Gaussman buzz, um, and if you know he's he's carrying a, an otherwise unimpressive, uh, you know, starting you know set of arms there in Toronto. And if they make the playoffs, then he's going to get some some shine from that. So, uh, but Cole is kind of the key story because you know last couple of weeks as we've been talking, he'd just been a false favorite, and now he's falling. And I can't really point to any examples where. At this time of the season, if you're on a team that's falling out of the playoff race and your performance is slipping and you are going from favorite status to third choice, fourth choice, uh, it's very, very rare that that turns around and you finish with a strong close and get this award. So I would expect that in general, um, you know, the the 
the chase for Cole is probably over. And this is a Valdez uh, Gaussman at the top of the market with uh, our guy Felix Bautista knocking on the door. If Gaussman and, and Valdez don't finish strong, I'm all of a sudden I'm going to actually start believing that Bautista has a chance. People are talking about it. There's buzz. It's not just us. It's mostly us, but it's not just us that believe in uh, Bautista. And I think the Orioles right now have to be considered, uh, you know, a pretty strong favorite to win the uh, AL East. Yeah, definitely. I still think Cole should be the favorite just because he's still got the lowest ARA. He's still got the best B war. He's still got the rep. He's a horse. He's got all of that. He's not going to get blamed for the Yankees season as well because they do typically win when he is on the mound, though they didn't his last start. But he's just he's just not that good anymore. He's not the same guy that he was in Houston. His strikeout rate is down from 11.5 per nine to, to 9.5. I mean, he's got an expected ERA of 3.60, an XFIP of 3.70. Like, the, he is getting lucky with batted ball stuff. And he's gotten really good at inducing, uh, I think, just ground balls. He's just the king of get to 3-2 and then a ground ball out. Uh, he's not putting guys away. But I still think he is the favorite. But then Valdez is right there. And I would have Gosman third uh, at the moment. Gosman, I think, is the most deserving candidate. I think he's, he's lapping the field in terms of F-war. Uh, mm-hmm. and his underlying stuff is the best of anyone. But I just don't think that people have bought in enough to the advanced stuff with pitches. I think back to a couple of years ago when Robbie Ray won the award. Uh, when he was, I think, on merit. He should have come like eighth, and he won going away just because ERA strikeouts, uh, and that's just what people look at. So I think Cole's the front runner, but uh, I'd have Valdez second and gaining, and I think Valdez is a worthwhile bet at pretty much every price in the market. He's in the plus 500 range. Goldsman, mm. and then Bautista. I mean, there's still some Bautista 100 to 1 out there. I just can't have that. That's too big. <laughs> he should, I think he is, uh, to me now, he's clearly, I think, the fourth favorite in the market yeah. uh, in a pretty weak field. Uh, so hopefully Cole gets lit up for six earned runs and uh, the market becomes chaos because that's where the most opportunity rises. All right, before we get into Nathaniel Hackett and the New York Jets with the NFL season, quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto-World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code DRAFT2023 to save 20% at checkout. All right. Let's talk about my beloved New York Jets. Uh, obviously, huge changes in the offseason. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. Don't know if you knew. Nathaniel Hackett is the OC. Uh, I think it's really difficult to assess coaching performance uh, in the NFL, uh, but Hackett is probably the clearest <laughs> evidence to ever get of a, a, a poor head coaching performance. Uh, but, I mean, what do you make of the higher? How much do you think it really matters uh, in terms of their offense and the team overall? It's pretty easy one to put a giant red flag on. Um, and if that were the only thing that I had reservations about the Jets offense, then maybe we would find reasons to excuse it. But it's not the only thing. Uh, and I think 
because it's in combination with an offensive line where we have questions about the tackle performance uh, and just tackle availability, uh, and we have a skilled position group that's not getting a ton of reps with Aaron Rodgers in the preseason on top of the fact that it's a little thin after Garrett Wilson, uh, I think that this Jets offense could have a little bit of a struggle getting up, getting off the ground. Brees Hall is not going to be at full strength, it doesn't sound like, until we're at, what, week four, week five? Uh, and their opposing defenses out of the gate here is absolutely hellacious. They faced six of the toughest teams you could ask coming out of the gate. And most of the, um, you know, the, the uh, chaos there is on the defensive side of the ball. The Bills, the Cowboys, uh, you know, th- these are teams that are clearly in the top five in terms of defensive personnel to start. Patriots have always had a scheme that has given the Jets trouble, regardless of who the offensive coordinator was. And that's a defense that I think a lot of people regard as a top five unit. Uh, and, you know, you, you kind of round out this mix with, uh, you know, split, uh, you know, a, a Denver uh, who, to me at least, has top 10 personnel. Uh, and uh, and then the Philadelphia Eagles is probably the first game where you have kind of an equal uh, you know, level of uh, talent with your offense and their defense. That's probably going to be the bellwether, but that's that's week six. You could be 0-5 at that point or 1-4, and uh, and the pressure is going to you know turn up pretty quickly, I think, on this Jets team. Now, if we talk about Nathaniel Hackett specifically, he's only ever called plays out, besides last year uh, when he was the offensive coordinator, I think, for one season in, uh, in, ja- in Jacksonville. Uh, he had the play-calling responsibilities. It was an uninspiring uh, overall offense and terms of creativity and you know really getting things done they succeeded largely because a bunch of their defensive players popped and they had a really easy schedule uh and i don't think that that's necessarily comports well with the jets succeeding offensively uh how, considering how difficult their schedule is and and really um the hall of fame game you cannot realistically take anything away from the hall of fame game preseason wise but what was going on with the procedural penalties the bonehead mistakes, like that was kind of the added level of the Broncos offense shooting themselves in the foot uh, with you know self-inflicted five-yard procedural penalties here and there, not getting plays in on time, not having a very good conceptual arc of what we're trying to do in a given series, given the game state, what are we trying to do? Like it just was kind of full-on chaos uh, with the Broncos last year. And I think there were whiffs of that in the Hall of Fame game which is kind of inexcusable. So color me as a buyer beware with the Jets offense overall. Uh, and I think, you know, there may be times later in the season where they face a softer portion of their schedule in terms of opposing defenses. Um, and their defense is certainly going to keep them in all of these games. Um, but Aaron Rodgers is going to have to have a little bit of a career revival here and do some of the work of the offensive coordinator, in my opinion, getting his guys in the right position, getting protections worked out, uh, and just in general communicating well with all of his, uh, you know, with all of his fellow offensive players in order for them to succeed. And, you know, so I think this is a pretty easy one where because of the other red flags and because of what we saw from Hackett last year, I think you have to pretty squarely start with a, an offensive rating for this Jets that uh, is in the bottom 10 of the NFL, if not the bottom five. Okay. Well, I think there's a couple of things here. Firstly, with Rodgers, well, it, it seems like Hackett is there because Rodgers is there. Uh, and it seems like, I don't know, I, this is completely un- unfounded, but I would think Aaron Rodgers is someone who, uh, would value being able to do what he wants to do in terms of the coaches around him. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett, by all reports in Denver, uh, was very amenable to letting people do what they wanted to do. So I don't know. I wouldn't read much into Aaron Rodgers' opinion of Nathaniel Hackett being one of the great coaches. 
Uh, and I think that the other thing is that I, I felt I fall into this trap a lot where you just player moves team and you just expect them to be more or less the same player. You think I think about like Rudy Gobert going from Utah to Minnesota oh, and I yeah. thought he would just be the same guy and he's just not because it's a completely different system, doesn't carry over. Uh, I think last year to, uh, it's a bit different like JC Jackson who's maybe the top three, four corner in the league in New England, goes to the Chargers. I know he's dealing with some health stuff, but uh, even when he was healthy, he was not good at all. When players change teams and systems, it doesn't always work out. Look at Russell Wilson in Denver. Yes, it worked out pretty well for Peyton Manning going to, to Denver and also for Tom Brady going to Tampa, but those are the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. <laughs> Rodgers is in that discussion as well, but I think that uh, with the questions on the offensive line, with just the youth of the offense, with Nathaniel Hackett, I, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sold on the offense. And I think as well, when you're relying on your defense to make you elite, that's not what you want year to year, which we've talked about. Defense is just more variable. It's more dependent on turnovers and fumbles and that stuff. There is There are huge elements of luck involved in that. So, look, I think the Jets, they should be a playoff team. Uh, they should be a 10 and 7, 11 and 6 type of team, I think. Uh, but I am a little bit skeptical of them. I think also the main thing there is that I don't understand why the Bills, people seem to be lukewarm on the Bills. Before Josh Allen hurt his elbow, the Bills were clearly the best team in the NFL. Weren't the Bills two and a half point favorites in Kansas City, like week six? The two yeah. and a half point favorites in Arrowhead and won. And then Allen, shortly after that, uh, or a few weeks after that, hurts his elbow. And then obviously they, they deal with uh, a lot of turmoil at the end of the season. Uh, and then they play a weird snow game against the Bengals. And I don't know. I think people have just moved on from the Bills too much. I would see them as clearly the number one team in that division. I mean, are you on the same page with me as the Bills? Like, why are they 10 to 1 to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean, because a lot of people stuck their flag in the Bills, myself included, last year preseason. And th- we saw the best of them early and the worst of them late. And that kind of, you know, that, that specifically taints your anchoring on a team like that because, uh, you know, the best we've ever seen the bills play uh, was their playoff loss to the chiefs. <laughs> and uh, you know, that if that's your peak, then, you know, and that's that far in the rearview mirror, then it's easy to kind of dismiss them. But um, you know, a team like the bills, even up against an elite defense, like the jets is going to get into the mid twenties, probably the high twenties. And the question is, can the jets answer on Monday night football week one? And for me with this offensive coordinator and what we've seen so far, um, you know, with the offensive line that they're trotting out there, I just don't think it's realistically possible. Bills as a, you know, as a play for week one is one of my favorite looks on the board. I think that line should be closer to three, which is ironically, I think where it opened and everybody had a big belly laugh thinking it was, should be closer to pick, but uh, watch it close at three. So um, yeah, Bills, uh, Bills are a bet on for me, particularly as long as they're healthy. Uh, the big question for them really is age and age and, you know, some of the, uh, uh, defensive scheming now that uh, McDermott has taken over. But that's that's a really, really small uh, contributor to this team success nowadays. Yeah, I think people forget as well, like Micah Hyde was hurt all of last season. Uh, Gabe Davis as well. I think he had like a high ankle sprain that he's played through all year and was never right. So I, I don't know. I think that they are they're right there uh, with the Chiefs. Team that's not right there with the Chiefs, the Denver Broncos, uh, another team that we should talk about coming off of Daniel Hackett chat. This is one of the harder teams, I think, just to to get one's head around because yeah. I think you have to balance 
between what expectations were coming into last year, which were pretty high, and it was a team that was favoured to make the playoffs, then obviously they have their disaster season. Uh, and I think that, and we've spoken about this, how this is going to be a really interesting test case for the importance of coaching and how much it matters because there's not going to be many cleaner situations where you can just kind of isolate as a control uh, mm -hmm. what this team was with what we think is a bad coach in Nathaniel Hackett and what we think is a good coach uh, in Sean Payton because, yes, there have been some changes in personnel, but not that many changes in personnel across the board. Uh, so where do you sit uh, on the Broncos at the moment? They're pegged as exactly eight and a half, their win total, so just the definition of a 500 team. Yeah, so the Sean Payton head coaching upgrade from Nathaniel Hackett is the biggest delta of any head coaching change in the NFL heading into the season. And I don't think anyone can realistically argue. Um, if you want to make yourself sound smart with an early season take, it is that the Broncos offense is going to look substantially better than what you remember about, about it from last year, because last year they were in prime time so much in the first half of the season and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And people kind of just decided, well, they stink. And Russell Wilson's watched and this team is not very good offensively. And the reality is it's somewhere in between uh, what was expected from last year and ultimately what people think of remembering the beginning of the season. Now, Sean Payton, um, you know, he's going to have a, the ideal start to the season hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. In my opinion, the Raiders are, a com are an incomplete defense. They do not have a secondary that can match up with NFL talent and Denver Barely has NFL talent at the skill position group, but it's there. Uh, and I think realistically, what we saw Peyton succeed with at the tail end of Drew Brees' career in New England was a lot of the, sh you know, the short pre precision uh, rhythm offense. Uh, you know, he got better protection than the talent would have expected from his offensive linemen, and he got more production, you know, from the, uh, you know, from the wide receiving room than you would have expected uh, outside of the elite talent like Michael Thomas. So um, it's pretty easy to expect specifically Peyton and his offensive vision and his play calling to elevate a lot of these parts on this roster that are below average offensively. Uh, and I think you're going to see that right away early on against the Raiders. Week two test against the Washington Commanders is a little bit tougher to ask now because now you are going up against a defense that does have in, at least an elite D line, if not, you know, a kind of a getting there secondary. Um, but I think Russell Wilson can, you know, if, you know if, if you can marry the concepts that worked with Drew Brees at the end of his tenure into what Wilson is currently capable of doing, that should succeed. And it should kind of fit hand in glove with what defenses are allowing you to do in the NFL right now. So I think it's pretty easy to be bullish on this offense uh, as you currently look at uh, the way that they start their season. Week one, week two should be wins for Denver at home. Um, and uh, the bellwether is going to be week three. They go up against the Vic Vangio coordinated defense in Miami. This is a huge, huge test for this team. If Miami goes down there and puts up 20 points, then I think we can basically tell ourselves we have to completely regrade, uh, you know, what the you know ceiling is for Denver for this season. Uh, if Miami and Vic Fangio hold them into the teens, then I think it is kind of the the current market rating for what this Denver defense is should be, uh, you know, basically is is proven out as fair in my mind. Um, now, if they struggle against the Raiders. And if the commanders completely shut these guys down, now we're in deep trouble territory uh, because all of the expected improvements you were getting from Peyton didn't manifest. And now maybe we are like, oh, we actually Russell Wilson is washed, which is a which is a part of the distribution of outcomes for the season. You absolutely have to acknowledge that we could be there come, uh, you know, come October. So um, for me, at least. 
bullish to start the season, expecting them to get off to a very strong start considering scheduling. And then the bellwether is going to be week three against Miami. Yep. I mean, I think if you just look at last season, they were five and 12. I think by the underlying stuff, they were more like a six and 11 team. And then with Russ being better uh, and adding in Peyton and improving the offensive line uh, a little bit, I think that they should be three wins better and be a nine and eight type of team. I think the defense should be really strong, starting off with that Simmons-Sertan safety corner one-two, as that's probably the best safety corner one-two in the league. Uh, And then Russ. I mean, Russ was bad last year. I don't think he was quite as bad as people are making him out to be. He wasn't wasn't Zach Wilson. He was just solidly below average. Uh, And I think that it's perfectly reasonable to expect that he can get back to being <laughs> the 14th or 15th best quarterback in the league. Uh, or maybe even a little bit better. Yeah, the problem was he was so bad in the primetime games when everyone had their eyes on him. Yeah. The you know, yeah. the Col- the Colts game, the Seahawks game, uh, the Niners game, which they won, but it was because of the defense, right? You know, the early season primetime stuff really, really tainted people's perceptions, which should – Maybe give us a buy low on him this year. But, uh, you know, I, I again, like I think the system that Peyton brings should work in today's NFL with what defensive coordinators are doing uh, if he can get uh, Wilson to execute it. And he's bringing the discipline along with it. He's not allowing, you know, Wilson to kind of run the show, which I think should, uh, you know, help course correct a bit as well. So um, count me as a, uh, a, a higher ceiling on the Broncos offense than I think market uh, really is capturing. Yep, I like it. All right, before we get into the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Big Ten Day is this Thursday, August Ooh. 10th. Break out your Big Ten school colors and celebrate the inaugural Big Ten Day national holiday. Dust off your best gear, share photos of your school pride with hashtag Big Ten Day. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right. Talk about (laughs) the Ravens uh, and Todd Munkin. Uh, This has been a much maligned offense i think or at least there's the idea that munkin is going to come in and revolutionize it and have it uh certainly have a different flavor with the ravens uh i find i do this in a lot of sports where i often anchor back to what has happened in the recent past i think with the nba and look this doesn't work every time clearly but uh a couple of years ago in the nba when the celtics made the finals 
And at one point that year, they were 50 to 1 to win the East. And in my head, I just couldn't shake that, you know, this is the, this is the same, relatively the same core that made the Eastern Conference Finals two years before that in the bubble and was favoured to beat Miami in that series. And now all of a sudden, they're 50 to 1 to win the East and they've still got <laughs> Tatum and Brown who are two years older and should be better. Uh, and look, it was a, diff- a little bit of a different team by that point, but still just anchoring back to the talent. And with the Ravens, I think it's a similar thing where rightly or wrongly, still can't entirely shake 2019 in my head when they were 14 and 2 and Lamar is the unanimous MVP and they look like an absolute juggernaut before losing uh, quite in embarrassing fashion to the Titans. And then since then, I mean, if you want to believe that the Ravens are still amazing, you can rationalize it away where they go 11 and 5 uh, in a season where they were decimated by COVID absences. Uh, then the next year, they're secondary. They just have no secondary whatsoever in 2021. It's like me and you playing corner off the practice squad, trying to cover triple team Devontae Adams because uh, there's <laughs> nothing there. And Lamar gets hurt uh, when they were in the mix for the one set, I think, before he went down. And then last year, Lamar gets hurt again. And look, I understand that they even when Lamar was playing those seasons, they didn't have the underlying stuff of an absolute juggernaut. But now they have a lot more uh, at the skill positions. They have Todd Munkin in. Uh, what do you think he does for this time? This is a really complicated one, and I don't have the answers at all. Um, but it's important to kind of recognize that the organization made some decisions about personnel and populating the depth chart where they starved the offensive talent for the last two seasons, in my opinion. They did not really give them an opportunity to grow, to develop, to particularly to uh, expand on the improvements that Lamar himself has made as a passer. And it has, it was been, it was frustrating to watch. Uh, You saw that the pass protection and really just the offensive line overall kind of Died, you know, it did dry it on the vine. Uh, it, it was not anywhere close to what we saw in the 2019 season, which was such a huge anchor for that offense. Um, and, you know, there was time for uh, a change in terms of scheme and time for an investment in, per, you know, in skill position players to supplement, uh, you know, the deal that they got done with Lamar Jackson, which has, you know, there's enough there that you should expect some serious improvement overall with this offense. Now, the red flags for me are the guys they brought in to really answer the call from the wide receiver standpoint, I think are all a little overrated. Uh, Zay flowers might ultimately end up being your wide receiver one by the end of the year in terms of a guy who can actually make game breaking, you know, plays as a, a receiver in today's NFL uh, expecting, uh, you know, OJB or OBJ to do it off of an entire year absence uh, recovering from an ACL is asking him a lot. Uh, and expecting some of the younger guys like Rashad Bateman, who haven't spent a ton of time with the team in the offseason, to make a huge step forward, I think, is asking a lot. So this wide receiver group could still very well be bottom 10 in the NFL, uh, which is going to put more more stress and more pressure on uh, on Lamar Jackson. And, you know, he's going to outlet to Mark Andrews, like always. And there's a very very real possibility that even though Munkin is potentially bringing in something very new, that it still looks kind of the same uh that it's still well plays breaking down there goes lamar jackson oh my god i can't believe he gave 20 yards on that play did you see that incredible uh move that he made to get that rushing touchdown you know like he's gonna make high high level highlight plays uh that are awesome to watch that are fun to be part of as a football fan he's gonna be a top five quarterback if he plays 17 games in my opinion uh regardless of how the wide receiver group develops and todd munkin is 
he's got his work cut out for him, I think, to find ways to get this wide receiver group into advantageous situations schematically. Uh, and, you know, he did it at the college level, um, but I really didn't have a good taste in my mouth when he left the NFL. Uh, you remember in 2019, he had a one-year stint with the Cleveland Browns that ended in um, unspectacular fashion with, you know, Freddie Kitchens took over as head coach. There was a big kind of fight over who was actually coordinating the offense. Munkin didn't really feel like he was doing much at all. Uh, ultimately leaves after one year to go to Georgia. Uh, and then before that, he was in charge of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense on, you know, with Jameis Winston that was, you know, explosive, exciting, but ultimately like not uh, an especially successful, you know, program. So um, what he did at the college level was great. If he can replicate that with this talent, then the Ravens are going to be pretty unstoppable in the uh, AFC North. They could very well challenge uh, being the best offense with the Cincinnati Bengals just because Lamar Jackson is that dynamic. Um, but uh, I, I still think ultimately there may be a bit more expected out of this group than we could realistically manifest considering the offensive line still looks like there's some problem spots there. There's definitely some inexperience, if not some outright, not enough talent. Uh, And then the same goes for the wide receiver group. Yeah. I think the, maybe the difference to last year is at least this year, they just have, they have more viable lottery tickets. And even if these lottery tickets range from somewhere from, plus 175 to plus 800 to hit, there is at least a chance that one of them is going to hit between, say, Flowers and Odell Beckham. And, I mean, Devin Duvernay is fine. He's solid. Rashad Bateman is who I think most people have have written off and maybe justifiably just with the health concerns and what he hasn't been able to do. But, I mean, he's still a first-round pick, what, two years ago? Like, I wouldn't dismiss that guy entirely because there is still some talent there uh nelson aguilar probably that's probably more in the 15 to 1 range to hit as a lottery ticket but then isaiah likely as well is there who should be able to take some strides in year two i think mark andrews will be better as well this season he was banged up all of last year so i mean you just need andrews to be right and then just one of those receivers to really pop and then all of a sudden if lamar stays healthy behind a pretty solid offensive line and you know pretty pretty good defense again then you're looking at a team that, that could absolutely win the North uh, and win the Super Bowl even. Uh, all right. So with these three teams, uh, is there a bet in particular that you like between the Jets, uh, the Broncos and the Ravens? Uh, I got to say Bills betting against the Jets offense in week one is a bet for me. Um, betting on the Broncos week one against the Raiders is a bet for me, particularly their offense. So team total under for the Jets, team total over for the Raiders is going to be a, for the uh, Broncos is going to be a fun one. Uh, and then, uh, the Ravens for me is absolutely wait and see, um, tough, a couple of tough tests in the first quarter of the season that we're going to find out one way or the other, if Munkin's pushing the right buttons. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Lamar Jackson offensive player of the year is worth talking about. Sure. Yeah, I, I've had this theory that has not been proven correct at all. But I had this theory that was based off of a couple years ago, uh, 2021, before Lamar got hurt. There was a mid-season poll on Offensive Player of the Year, and Lamar won that uh, and didn't win MVP in that poll. And that kind of triggered in my head the idea that running quarterbacks are more likely to win Offensive Player of the Year because it's a way to reward total offense as opposed to passes who i mean Mahomes was the mvp last year almost unanimously and doesn't really feature an offensive player of the year consideration because it's viewed as the best non-quarterback award i still do think there is an angle to potentially reward 
a historic season. And I know Jalen Hurts kind of potentially could have been that guy last year for OPOY, but I think Jefferson's season was just so great they didn't really factor in. And I think if if Lamar was to break the all-time like total yards record or Justin yeah. Fields was to do it or Hurts was to do it, uh, but they weren't quite at the top of MVP, then I think that is interesting and that, and that Lamar uh, could be the one to, to break that mold and kind of get the... Because OPOY for so long was the Drew Brees award while Peyton Manning was winning MVPs or Tom Brady was winning MVPs uh, because it's a statistical production award. Uh, and if there are records that start to be falling between passing and rushing yards combined or most rushing yards ever by a quarterback, that kind of stuff, I do think it is viable that, uh, that particularly uh, Lamar could win that. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, the other market between these three teams. There's a couple, but I think I'm interested in Pat Sertan, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, around 50. Oh. I wouldn't bet that at the moment, but I just think there's some scope for that defense to be elite and potentially has a path to being regarded as the best defense. And if Peyton is good on the other side and Wilson is a bit rejuvenated and there are good vibes around the Broncos and they're 11 and 6 and a wild card team with the best defense, because Sertan has the pedigree now. And I think that outside of the elite pass rushers who, I mean, this award just goes to, you know, Hall of Fame candidate pass rushers. It's almost, I think I would probably take, so Parsons, Garrett, Watt, Bosa, I might take those four over the field, honestly, for DPOY, yeah. even though it's just four guys. But outside of that group, I think Sertan, uh, along with Sauce Gardner, like those are the probably the two next guys along uh, who are super interesting. So that's just one to keep an eye on. All right. We are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for those of you watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. If you're listening to us in podcast form, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. I'm Jay Croucher, Andrew Dinsick. We'll see you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.